note to end the scripture reading on. <laughs> Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we pray that you'd help us understand what this passage means, what it says, and Lord, that our lives uh, would change as a result. Lord, that you would uh, be made famous in and through us. Lord, that we would deeply follow you with our whole heart. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning. I know it's uh, rainy and cold and wet, and I'm just pumped that you came. So that's awesome. You pat yourself on the back. That's a good work worthy of salvation. That's actually not true. That's, that's also heresy. Uh, but uh, anyway, I'm so, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're uh, a part of Outward Church with us this morning. So thanks for coming. Um, just a couple of things. One is this, is that this is the season for THX, which is our Thanksgiving event where we take a fully cooked Thanksgiving meal. We're going to be cooking all the turkeys. It's going to be crazy. Um, we're, we're getting some barbecues lined up. It's going to be crazy and fun, and um, I, we'll, we'll see how the turkey thing goes. Uh, we're also getting food from fresh and local. We reduced the number of families that we're, uh, that we're gonna, that we were hoping to serve this year uh, because of costs and just felt like we shouldn't uh, overdo it on the budget this year, and so we are um, uh, doing 300 and uh, 300 families. We'll have 330 meals, so we'll probably end up serving 330. But we we normally get about 30 extra uh, for lost meals and uh, incorrectly delivered meals and stuff like that. And so uh, we're going to be doing that on Thanksgiving morning. So make sure that you uh, set your calendar on Thanksgiving morning, uh, probably at 9 a.m. Uh, to be here and to help with that. That will be. So awesome. But then we also need you to give. Uh, give uh, generously to that. Um, above and beyond what you normally give to Outward Church so that we can continue uh, functioning the way that we uh, typically do. That would be so helpful. Secondly, today, uh, something uh, new starts, and it's called Alpha, and it's basically a conversation or a discussion about faith. And so whether you're seeking and trying to understand what the Christian faith is about, but you're not really sure that you're in, or whether you've, you, you, you've decided that you are in, and you're like, I just don't know what is Scripture, and what is, it, what is it about, and what does God want from me, that kind of stuff. The guy who was playing bass up here, um, Josh, uh, he is actually going to be uh, leading uh, that discussion uh, today right after service. If you'd like to be a part of it, you go out to Connect Central and talk with them. That would be super cool. Lunch will be provided as well. So all the college students, uh, you'll, you'll have something to eat maybe if you go in there. But anyway, uh, and then lastly is dinners for 10. Like if you've been coming to our church, you don't feel like you know anybody or any staff or uh, elders or something like that, you'd like to get to know some people, make yourself known, that kind of a deal. Uh, Dinners for 10 is, is happening this week, I believe. You can find out more out at uh, Connect Central, but it's at a staff or elder's house, and it's meant to connect you um, uh, to people here at the church. You, you can also sign up through the website or, or the app, and so that would be super cool. So uh, we've got this crazy passage in front of us, and at the end of it, uh, everybody dies, and uh, they're, they're cut down. Reminds me of that Johnny Cash song, God's Gonna Cut You Down, and uh, it's, you know, it's very heartwarming and, and so forth. Um, it also feels like it's the antithesis of everything that we've been teaching and everything that we stand for, uh, which ultimately comes down to this, that you cannot work to earn your salvation. What Jesus is saying here sounds like he's saying, you better work or you're going you're gonna to lose your salvation kind of a deal. But that's not what he's, what he's saying here. Um, he actually has a different message. And what I think it speaks to is what's happening in our culture today, where we have in the local church, we have this level of consumerism that I'm not sure that we've seen before. And the consumerism is, is this, is that we go to a church that we feel like fits our preferences. If, if they're doing what we want them to do, then we'll go there. If they have the programs that we want, if they have the music that we want, if they have the things that we like, then we'll go to that church. And then we go to that church and we hang out at that church and we, and we say, as long as you're serving me, as long as I feel like I'm being fed, as long as I feel like I am getting what I need out of this place, then I'll continue to be a part of it. But as soon as something else happens and you guys don't serve me properly, I'm, I'm, I'm out. Now this happens all of the time. I have the same tendency uh, with, uh, with the church. I've almost left you so many times. Like it's, it's, 
That is not what I meant to say, but uh, it was a great opportunity for a joke, and so uh, I had to take it. But no, I have not. But I, I, I would have this. I'm, I'm human. I mean, if, if I was just a, a regular church member, which I also am that, but if I was somebody who was not employed by this organization, like, it might be, you know, I'm not sure. What, it, what, what would I like and what wouldn't I like? I'd have that same tendency. But our culture is about consumerism. Our, our culture is about what can I get out of the people around me? Our culture is about, you know, how, how, how can I treat everything as a purveyor of goods and services that will meet my needs? Jesus has something else for us. Jesus has some other ideology for us uh, that should speak to us this morning and perhaps change where we're at. And I, I believe that there has never been a more important time in the church, and that's probably not true, but it, it might be. <laughs> you never want to hear a pastor say that, by the way. But, but it's, it's, it's probably not true that it's never been uh, more needed than today, but in my lifetime, that's what it feels like. In my lifetime, I've, I've never seen the level of uh, lack of commitment to the local church, uh, lack of commitment to Jesus. I've never seen, it's gonna sound harsh, I've never seen what seems to me to be such a, a, a massive level of self-focus, such an, such an um, a level of inability to desire to serve others, to desire to be about the things of Jesus. And I, I gotta tell you, I think there's non-believers in this room right now. We're so glad that you're here. But to the believers in this room, Jesus is calling us to a greatness that we don't know anything about. It's a greatness that's not like the world's greatness. It's a different kind of greatness. Jesus is calling us to something other than what we think it should be. And as long as we have the, the ways of the world ingrained in our minds and don't step out of ourselves, we're gonna continue to miss it. So Jesus has been traveling towards Jerusalem. He's been going towards Jerusalem, and the disciples are all thinking to themselves, this is it. He's going to drop the hammer any second. Our Roman oppressors are going to all die. It's, it's going to be so fantastic. Finally, the Messiah is here, and he will rule and reign, and it's going to be fantastic. And I'm finally going to be in this place of authority over them. And instead of them being in authority over me and squashing my religion and everything I stand for and all of the sin and the unrighteousness that's been happening here, he's finally going to do it. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's going through Jericho, I think is what it says. He just had that interaction with Zacchaeus that we talked about last week. There is a throng of people. And all of these people, they're, they're, they're these people that are like, yeah, oh, that guy's going to win. I'm on your team. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. They're, they're following him. And he is gathering a bigger and bigger and bigger crowd because of this. Because his supernatural ministry, because he fits the prophecies that happened in the Old Testament. Because people are looking at him and they're just going, man, this has got to be the guy. He, he's going to be it and I want to be on his team when he, when he wins. And so we look at our passage. It says in uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 11, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Kingdom of God is finally gonna be implanted over the current kingdom, over the worldly kingdoms, over, over the Romans. 
So they're thinking that the kingdom of God is going to appear immediately. All of my problems are going to be erased and everything's, everything's going to be fine. And so it says this. He said, therefore. He said, because these people thought that the kingdom of God was going to come right now, this is why he's saying that. So Jesus is tempering their expectations. He's, he's helping them understand something. And so he, sa he said, therefore, he tells a story. He says, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Now, that verse alone is confusing. But if you keep reading here, it says, calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 uh, minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Now, why would he tell this story? Spur Charles Spurgeon uh, did a great uh, sermon on this, which I, I read, and he himself said, I didn't understand this passage until I understood the historical background behind this. And almost every single commentator that I read, which is probably four or five, uh, about, this, about this passage mentioned this story. There's a, a guy by the name of Josephus who is a, an ancient historian during this time. And Josephus records a story. The story is this, that Herod the Great, uh, as he was getting close to death, um, or when he died, he had, he had three sons. One of his sons' name was uh, Archelaus. Now, Archelaus is mentioned in Matthew chapter 2, verse 22. And it's speaking about Joseph. But when he, Joseph, heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. So here is this son, Archelaus. Now, Archelaus was a terrible guy. He had killed 3,000 Jews, I think, and then piled the bodies in the temple. The Jews hated this guy. And what was happening was this. When Herod died, Archelaus was supposed to ascend to the throne. He really wanted the title of king. And so what he was, uh, what he was supposed to do was he was supposed to leave Jerusalem and he was supposed to go to uh, Rome, to the kingmaker who is Caesar. So Caesar is the kingmaker. And so he wants to be king. He wants to be named king over Jerusalem and, and that area. But what happened was this. The Jews sent a delegation. This is recorded history. The Jews sent a delegation of 50 people, I believe. And these 50 people go to Caesar and say, we do not want Archelaus to rule over us because he is brutal. He has mistreated us and so on and so forth. Well, Caesar says, okay, that's fine. Guess what? I won't give him the title king. He'll just be a ruler of some sort. So he doesn't give him the name of king. What happens after that? He comes into power, uh, comes into Jerusalem. He mistreats everyone who said, we don't want him to be king. And he rewards those who wanted him or, or served him. So that's the background of this story. Jesus is taking the story. It's ripped out of the headlines, kind of like law and order or something like that. He takes that story and, he's, and he tells it. He tells a little bit of a different story. And this story fits into that context. So we have... Uh, three kinds of people here. We have these faithful servants, we have these wicked servants, and then we have these enemies of his. Faithful servants, wicked servants, and enemies. So Jesus is telling the story and he's saying, listen, uh, I know you think that the kingdom of God is going to be implanted right here and right now. But what's gonna happen is this. Jesus is the king in this story. And Jesus says, I am going to go away to be made king, and I'm going to return. What's he talking about? He's talking about his life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension back to heaven, ascending to heaven, and then his final return. So we are in that in-between period. He ascends to heaven, and then he's going to return. And Jesus is saying, hey, there's some stuff that needs to happen in the meantime here. It's, the kingdom of God is not coming immediately. And so what does he say he wants us to do? And this is for us. Are we to be consumers of the local church, of the people around us, of our community groups, of, of our community? Or is there something else that Jesus wants for us? So it says this, 
When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given money to be called to him that he, that, uh, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Now, what is, what is uh, Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying, I have taken something. It's very, it seems very small. It's a very small investment. It's a, it's a mina in some senses. It's, it's a, a very small amount of money, like, it, like a, a week's wages or something like that. It might be, you know, it might be $100. It might be $10. It might be $1,000. Who knows? But it's a very small amount of money, and, he, and he's given it to his servants, and he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to do business with this. I want you to take this investment, and I want you to do business with this. Now, what is this investment? This investment is the gospel. When, when Jesus saves us, he gives us the gospel. He gives us the good news. Now, the good news is not just the words that say, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and therefore I can be saved. The gospel is the good news that I do not have to have any other savior. In fact, I can't have any other savior because any other savior leads me to death. And so my real savior, what I really need to be, what I really need to be about is I need to be about the gospel. The gospel is what transforms me and it transforms me in such a way that I go from someone who is consuming to someone who is consumed. I go from someone who is consuming the goods and services of the local church, of my community, of my community group, of my work, of the people around me. I go from somebody who, who is no longer saying, what do they offer me? What does their friendship do for me? How do I, how do I uh, make money off of this interaction with this person? How do I get what I want from them physically? How do I get, it takes us from being a consumer to being somebody who's consumed because of this. We have been transformed through the investment of the gospel. So the gospel is a deposit. It's an investment. It is something that goes into us and Jesus says, I want you to do business with that deposit. I want you to go and I want you to um, make stuff happen. I know it seems small, but I want you to go and make stuff happen. And so it says this, the first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 more minas more, or has, has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Now, we don't necessarily really have any understanding of exactly how, how this translates. Like, uh, doing something with the gospel leads to this reward in heaven, like we're gonna be ruling over something. We don't have clarity on what that means. But this is a story. It's an analogy that basically says this is what it's like. And so what is he saying here? He's saying, listen, you will be rewarded in some way, and it's at least saying to us, what I want you to do is I want you to take the deposit that I gave you, and I want you to do something with it that causes there to be more minas, more lives changed, more people who've received the gospel, more people who have uh, come to a new place of understanding more people who've understood the good news of the G of Jesus uh, Jesus Christ. Now, early on in the church here, one of the passages that absolutely like I, I awakened me to something because I was a church member as a young man who went to church and I was like, man, I want to be involved. I want to be. I want to be involved. I want to. I want to do something. But I was kind of just sitting there, just soaking it up, just criticizing whatever whatever's going on. And I finally came to this place where I was like, I know this verse, but I haven't read the verse after that, and that's Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through ten, which says, "For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing; it is the gift of God." 
not a result of works so that no one may boast. Now, I know that verse. I've heard that verse since I was a, you know, a fetus. I, I am somebody who I, I believe that completely, that it is only by the grace of God that I've even believed in him. Like he, he, he gave me grace in the midst of all of my sin and I accepted that through his power, through his purpose, through everything and I received that deposit in me and it's not through anything that I did and Jesus uh, specifically wants it to be this way. I should say God wants it this way because when you stand before him, he wants there to be no way that you can say to him, Hey, God, look at all the things that I did for you. See, you kind of had to save me because I was preaching every Sunday morning. You kind of had to save me because I raised a great family. You kind of had to save me because I was so successful and I was pretty honest in my business and, and I didn't cheat or, or steal or, or whatever. I said sorry when I did do something wrong or I helped someone across the street or whatever it is. It's so that you can't stand in front of God at all and say, Look at what I've done for you. The next verse is what gets me. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So many people today, so many people, and this may not be you, we have a ton of great servants in our church. But so many people today think that they know the gospel, but have never gotten the reality of that he has work for me to do. I am not saved by my works. I am saved for works. That if the grace of God has truly impacted my life, then what's gonna happen is I go from a consumer to being consumed by the grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus consumes us and leads us to consume ourselves for other people. And so this is why we say, love Jesus and live outward. This is why we say, the love of Jesus has to have this immense power in your life. And what we talk about is we say, we, say we wanna love Jesus, which means this, we wanna love his story his people, and his rule and his reign. We don't want to be like the enemies of this king, of this nobleman who says, I don't want him to reign over me. No, I'm under the rule and the reign of King Jesus. I'm all about his story. I see his life. I see who he is, and I go, I want to be like Jesus. I see Jesus, and that's what this series is about is seeing the real Jesus, seeing him for who he is. If I see the story of Jesus and I see Jesus in the midst of that and I see how he's kind and compassionate to the sinful woman, how he's loving and caring and stops in the middle and says, wait a minute, who touched me? Who touched me? You did. Your faith has made you well. When you see Jesus and you see how amazing he is, when you see how awesome he is and it begins to transform your, your, your mind, it begins to transform what you think about, it, you begin to see this person who gives of themselves. You begin to see this person who is offering all of his stuff, all of his giftings, all of his life, all of everything, all of his blood. He gives it away, and when you see his story, and then you see that begin to come out in his people, this is why you can't have a legitimate discipleship without being a part of the local church. This is why being online is nice. But it is not good for a long term. That's why we're not stopping service again. That's why we're not inhibiting the, the gathering. Because discipleship to Jesus is more important than anything else. Discipleship to Jesus. God's people must 
come together. Why? Because of this. Because I want to see his story being played out in your life, in your life, in your life. I want to see, when I, when I see Jesus coming through you and I say, man, Jeff was really a jerk before he knew Jesus. I'm sorry, Jeff is a good friend of mine. Uh, but but, but I, I begin to see Jesus come out of Jeff. And I begin to see Jesus uh, changing Jeff's life. And I see, I see Jesus in Jeff. And I see him being transformed. You can't do that online. You can't do that church hopping. You can't do that not being connected with the local church. You can't come in and, out, and, and even just attending, never knowing anybody, never being a part of anybody, never n- not being known and knowing other people. That doesn't count. What we want to do is we want to love Jesus, and we love Jesus best when we are about his story. We are about his people, and we are about his rule. But that leads us to give to and serve and speak. That leads us to an outward representation of the gospel. And this is, what, this is why I wanted to plant a church. And it's because of this. I saw people coming in and out the doors, and I was like, I'm leading worship for like 100 and some college students, and I'm just going, you guys are the same people that were here last week. I'm the same person that was here last week. You just sat through something, and it didn't mean anything. Nothing changed in your life. Nothing changed in my life. And so I started on this journey of going, man, what does God want from me? He wants there to be an outward expression of an inner reality that has happened to me because his story has come real in my life. I see it in the people around me and I'm changed as a result. I've gone from consumer to being consumed. And now what happens is this, my life explodes with Jesus, the life of Jesus. Do you see what they said here? Lord, your Mina has made it 10 more Minas. It is not yeah, those are my gifts. Yeah, look at what I've done. There, there, there's a reality of, I didn't, I didn't make this happen in me. I didn't do this in my life. Like, Jesus did this in my life. And Jesus, your gospel in me has made 10 more gospels. Not, there is no other gospel, but you get what I mean, so... And I'm full of heresy today, but your gospel in me has affected 10 more people. There you go, right? (laughs) I'm getting a yeah, yeah from one of my elders over here. He's like, he's like, going off the rails here, Matt. And that's when the church comes alive. That's when the church is alive. You see in Acts chapter 2. They were selling their possessions and goods, and the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. What was happening? Jesus got into people. The life of Jesus got into people, and they were like, I'll give it all away. I'll give everything away. So this is what we're about. It's about living out our faith. It's not about taking credit for what he's done in us, but it's about living this out. We have people in our church today who, have, who are amazing, faithful people who are doing incredible things. I showed up last week and this week, I think, both, and Sam, Sam and Megan Grable are here, they got, and they're cleaning the church they're cleaning the stuff that you're standing on, sitting on. They're, they're cleaning the church. Nobody's here to see them. But what did they do? They made a place for people to be able to come and hear the gospel for the first time. Instead of talking about, you know, here's all the, all the things that the church are not providing for me. Jesus has entered into their life and into their world and has taken them to a place where they say, I will take my Saturday morning and I will give it away. I see the, the Wiggers family down, down here as well doing the same thing. These are amazing servants, thankless job, a dirty job, something that, that is 
that is awful. There's somebody else that I'm thinking of. I have a, uh, a uh, note that someone wrote me early on in the church with a, the first check that we ever got. The first check that we ever got was a $200 check. We didn't have a bank account yet. I just said, uh, me and another guy said, we want to start a church. And this guy wrote me a note and said, I think you've got a pretty good thing going on here. Um, I, I just wanted to help out, something like that. You can pray that I keep kicking butt, right? Wasn't making very much money, but he gave the first check to the church. And that person has gone on in our church and gone from somebody who was a partier, who was a, a complete failure in so many moral respects in his life. He was not somebody that really even wanted to be about the church. He was not somebody that even really wanted to, to do anything for the church, but something happened in him and it went all the way to the point where he just said, I, I got something new. All of my guilt and all my shame from my past has been taken away through the grace of Jesus Christ. And I just, I just want to be the first to give to this. And what has happened with that person is that, that they have created a business. And their business, beyond what I'm even going to tell you today, is... One of, the, one of the most amazing things I think I've ever seen in the life of the church. Where they, they've made a good amount of money and they say, here's someone that I want to serve with this. I want to help them in a big way. He, I, I want to I give towards what's happening at the church. It's financial for this person. But it's not just financial. Because that guy's preaching in Silverton today. That guy's my brother, Tim. That guy took a deposit that Jesus gave him. And if you were to sit down with him and you, you were to say, tell me about how you felt before you received the grace of Jesus Christ. And he would, he, he would gush. He would tell you, I was in this place of feeling so down on myself. I just felt so much anxiety. I just felt so bad. I'll let him tell you the story, maybe. But then I found the grace of Jesus, and the grace of Jesus has transformed him. It has transformed his wallet. It has transformed his business, and he is about the things of Jesus. And he does not get paid a single cent from the church. He pays the church to preach. Don't think I'm gonna do that, all right? Just. I also tithe, all right? <laughs> Dude, that's amazing. I'm only in one point, all right? End of my sermon here, so I've got to keep going. <laughs> you are in trouble. Whoa. The wicked servant. Verse 20. We just talked about the faithful servant. Let's talk about the wicked servant. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. Now remember, this is talking about, this is a, an analogy, and it's this, this type of person would have been a severe person. And Jesus is telling this story, and he's put it in a context to help us understand something, that there's an expectation that as a servant of the king that you would take the deposit that he's given you and that you would give it away. And the problem is with this guy is that instead of going and doing business, he hid it in a handkerchief. And Jesus says this, he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. Wow, that feels harsh. That, that, that feels really harsh. There's a wickedness about taking the deposit that the king gives of the gospel and saying, you know what? I'm going to put it in a handkerchief. 
I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna hide this for a little bit. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna wait on this. Now, why would you put it into the handkerchief? First of all, today is a really bad time to come out and say at your work, hey guys, I'm an evangelical Christian. Yep, that's right, that's right. All of the baggage. Oh, you must be a right-wing conspiracy theorist, vaccine-hating, mask, not wearing, uh, abortion-hating, LGBT rights stomping on, you little son of a... That was too far. All right. That's, that's, where, that's where they go. And I feel it. I don't know if you feel it, but why would I hide it under a bushel? Yes. You know, no one knows that song. Last week was Zacchaeus was a wee little man. This week is this little light of mine, okay? I'm going to let it shine and hide it under a bushel. No. Today, it feels like hide it under a bushel. Yes. You keep that to yourself, right? Because you could lose your job. Because you could lose your friends. Because you could, I don't know what else you could lose. But you could lose it. Why would you do that? There's a real good reason. And it's because... It's scary. You're not just somebody from another religion. You're dangerous. So there's that. There's a misunderstanding of the king. I was afraid of you. There's at least a misunderstanding. There might be more than that. A misapplication, like a lie almost. Well, you're so severe, and I didn't really want to lose your mina, you know, and so... Uh, I just decided to put it in the handkerchief. And the king is frustrated. The guy's like, you know, it's, it's not very much. I, I would need more if I was going to invest. I would need the gift of being able to, to preach. I would need a, a Bible school uh, uh, education. I would need to, I, I really don't read my Bible enough. I don't pray enough. I you know, I don't even know what to say. I don't want to offend him. What else? I just don't want to let go of the bit that I have. I've taken it for myself. I've consumed it. I've consumed the grace of Jesus. But I am not consumed by the grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus in my life extends not just to my spiritual well-being, my salvation. The grace of Jesus extends into, yes, my wallet. This story is not just about finances, but it is definitely about finances. It's not less than that, but it's definitely more than that. How has the grace of Jesus Christ affected your finances? I've heard that studies show the more money we make, the less we give. My experience has been this. The more money I give, the more I feel like God gives back to me. Literally. I'm not, even, I'm not preaching uh, prosperity gospel, but God's going to make you prosper. I don't know how. It may not be financial, but I just got to tell you that God's goodness is so good. And you know sometimes what has to happen in my life? is that because I have it on automatic deposit, so it just puts it in there, I don't have to write a check and I don't have to feel the pain. I don't look at the budget like my wife does, and so it's just like, I don't know, I didn't have it before, we just decide to give it, and so it's not that big of a deal, it's gone. But you know what, what I have to do sometimes, I have to look at it and I have to say, is it worth it? Is it worth it for me to give back to God and to what he's, what he's done? Is it worth it to give to God? Is it worth it to be generous with other people? Not just the church. I'm talking about generosity to other people. Is it worth it? Like we'll throw a, a party at times for a baseball team or something like that that our, kids are, uh, that our kids are on. I think we've done that a couple of times. And we pay for all this stuff. And what, what is it that I'm trying to communicate? I've got the best steak. I've got the best drink. I, we create the best environment. I think hospitality is a major spiritual gift of mine, and so that's what I'm using. But I do that because I want to make Jesus famous. 
I want them to come to my house and say, that guy's a preacher and I had the best time at his house. That's what's crazy to me. I had uh, somebody who uh, went to our volunteer dinner and said, I've never been to a wedding that was that fun. And I was like, I've been to a lot of weddings that were not fun. In fact, most of them aren't typically fun. Mine was the greatest wedding ever. But that's what he described it as. I think that was a major compliment because of this. Because we show the deposit that Jesus has given us in how gracious we are, how generous we are with other people. And if the generosity of Jesus has not met your wallet, I got to tell you, giving of your finances tithing those finances to the local church, to our church, to whatever church you attend, is the first step of discipleship. I'm not kidding around when I say that the most committed people at our church are the most generous, and they are the people that are, and it's not like we went, oh, you're generous, you can do that. No, it's like, dude, you're already this, it must have hit your wallet. You're already serving Jesus on this level. They're bought in. The gospel affects every part of us. The wicked servant is someone who never shares the gospel. It's someone who never uses the resources that God has given them to advance the cause of Christ. And more often than not, they're complaining about what they don't have and what the church hasn't provided. And there's always a reason why they choose not to engage in community. Now listen, I care about you. I love you. And I know that might feel harsh. But you have got to know that this is what Jesus is calling you to. Jesus is calling you to expend yourself for the gospel. Charles Spurgeon writes this. He says, my friend, have you that pound? That pound is in place of Mina. Have you that pound anywhere about you? Alas, says one, I have no abilities at all. How is that? Your Lord gave you a pound. What has become of it? You are one of his servants, and if you are doing nothing, you are in an evil case and ought to be ashamed. What have you done with that pound? Put your hand in your pocket again. It is not there. Is it in the napkin, that napkin with which you ought to have wiped the sweat of labor from your brow? Have you got that pound? You say it is not much. The master did not say it was much. On the contrary, he called it very little. But, you have, you, but have you used that very little? This should go home to your consciences. You have been treated as confidential servants, and yet you are not true to your Lord. How is this? Have you got that pound? Do you have that mina? Do you have that gospel? Where is it at? Is it in the napkin? It's in the napkin, isn't it? There's, God has gifted you. God has given you the grace of the cross. God has given you so much. And how are you giving back? Last one, his enemies. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus say, uh, you better do what I want or you're going down? I'm going to cut you down. Why would Jesus do that? That seems like the opposite of what Galatians is saying, saying you, you cannot earn your salvation, you cannot do enough, but Jesus is saying here, I just want you to bring my enemies, and who are my enemies? They're the people who've rejected Jesus as king in totality. They've completely rejected him. They've said, I don't want anything that you have to offer. This is a horrible, horrible story. What is Jesus doing here? It's what one commentator says, T.W. Manson. He says, we may be horrified by the fierceness of the, of the conclusion, but beneath the grim, uh, grim imagery 
is an equally grim fact. The fact that the coming of Jesus to the world puts every man to the test, compels every man to a decision, and that decision is no light matter. It is a matter of life and death. It is a very serious point. Jesus is saying, to reject me is to be condemned. To, re to reject me is to lose everything. To reject me, it is a very serious matter, and you must think twice about it. Now, I don't think that the unfaithful or the wicked servant is necessarily an en enemy, but I'm not sure that guy even knows. It says, it, well, the question that I have is, what about Jesus makes them not want him as king? It says in uh, uh, John 1.11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This is who Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, I came to my own people, I came to my citizens, I came to the Jews, and the Jews rejected me. They ended up crucifying me. And Jesus is saying, that is a decision that they have made that is going to cut them down. That is a decision that is ultimately and finally an awful decision. That's what this is talking about. But why else wouldn't they want him as king? It says in Isaiah 53, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected by men. Here, here's, a, here's a guy that doesn't look like a king. He doesn't look like a political leader. He doesn't look like someone who's attractive. He doesn't look like someone who is somebody that I want to follow. There's also the reason of, man, this guy has light in him. He, he has light. It says in 1 John 1, 5, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. People reject Jesus because he is the light. He brings the light of the world. Why, how would you reject this person? Why in the world would you reject him? And then why would Jesus say, you know what? I'm gonna cut you down if you don't believe in me. Is that what really Jesus is saying? Well, I can tell you this, this is not what Jesus is saying. In Luke 9, 51, it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus says, okay, it's time. It's the day, the time is up for me to be taken up. Now I need to make my way to Jerusalem. And why is he going to Jerusalem? He's going to a cross. And his followers all think, hey, he's gonna beat everybody down. He's gonna be like all of these worldly kings. Do what I say or you're done. Be a faithful servant. Don't be a wicked servant. Definitely don't be an enemy because you're going to be cut down. Jesus is telling the story as they're walking to the cross and they're all going, yeah, yeah, take out the enemies. And then Jesus goes to the cross. And this is what that means. Jesus is the king that instead of slaughtering his enemies in front of him, he is slaughtered for them. See, Jesus is the king that isn't cutting them down. That's a story he told. But he said, I'm going to flip the script. I'm going to flip the story. Instead of you dying for being my enemy, instead of you, instead of you being slaughtered in front of me in that brutal way, I'm going to be slaughtered in front of you. And what does that do for us? It takes everything I've just said out of the realm of, you know what? You guys are a bunch of slackers. It takes it out of the realm of, you know what? You're not doing enough for the church. You know what? You're a consumer. You're not consumed by Jesus. It takes it all out of that realm. And it says this, there's nobody in this room that wasn't first an enemy of Jesus. 
There's nobody in this room that didn't deserve to be slaughtered in front of him. But now he has been slaughtered in front of you. And that's why we go to the Lord's table. Can we come forward with that, guys? We go to the Lord's table to celebrate, to commemorate, to joyfully remember the mina that he gave us. We go to the Lord's table to celebrate how he has served us. We, we come to the Lord's table in, in repentance. Some of you need to repent. I've, I, let me backtrack. All of us need to repent of our consumerism. I've been taking the gifts that you gave me. I've been taking the Mina. And I've said it's Mina. <laughs> Terrible joke, but it was a dad joke, all right. Guys, can I just be honest with you? In this church, we need people to be committed to the ministries that we have here. If you're just joining us from another church, you left your church because what restrictions that they have, or you're just kind of visiting or whatever, man, we're so glad that you're here. But I don't know, I, I wanna encourage you to get involved, or maybe you should go back to your church. I'm not saying, I don't wanna be rude about that. I'm not saying that. But maybe, maybe you left something there. Maybe the gospel should have transformed your heart and you should have gotten involved there but if it's here we're happy about that too how are you going to engage all of us can repent over this I squander your grace Lord Jesus every day would you bow your heads with me would you just take a moment and recognize that what I'm saying is true that I, I, I squander the grace of Jesus every day in some way, but he went to the cross for that sin in order not to demand change from me, but to love me and to change. Lord Jesus, we confess these things, and we thank you so much for your body that was broken for me. Let's partake of his body. Let's also partake of the blood. Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much for what you've given us. May we, we respond to your gracious kindness to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.